When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic Podcast, as we prepare for Super Bowl 57, we'll give you the rundown of my favorite AFC Championship game in NFL history. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr. All right, it's Tuesday. It is a go. You know the show drops tomorrow, right? Well, if you're listening today, today is already tomorrow. Tomorrow, which is will be Wednesday, right? Okay. Welcome in, NFL historians and lovers of sports history. Welcome. This show is for you guys and you gals out there. Again, if you already know this stuff, congratulations. Don't sprain an elbow trying to pat yourself on the back. But just remember, there's always somebody that does not know this stuff, okay? We are here, all right? This show exists because there are those out there that don't know as much about NFL history. So we're here to do three things. That is enlighten, teach, and learn. This is the Behind the Mic Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Neal Jr., the third. I'm kidding, Michael Neal Jr. Uh, This show is presented by Belly Up Sports, Belly Up Sports Media, all right? Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. Check us out on bellyupsports.com. Our home base, our new home base of Megaphone. Yeah, just like it says. Megaphone, yeah. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and YouTube, and more. All right, so one thing you need to know about me, I love pro football. It's the reason why this show exists. I love college football as well, but I love pro football even more. I watched, you know, like this is Super Bowl week, right? Uh, I've watched nearly every Super Bowl full length uh, start to finish. Um, I haven't watched you know enough of those older playoff games though. I've gotten into that over the past couple of years, and especially when you it comes to the AFC and NFC championship games. Of course, the reason why you know I've I've delved into that stuff because in the first place because I have an interest in history, right? Especially sports history and especially pro football history. What happened? How did they get here? What happened? was you know how come they never got back to this game or you know so we talked about nfl films a while back and that's what really got me going on doing research when i was what a teenager when i was in middle school trying to find out what happened to this team and that team of course youtube thank god for it and uh nfl films is just broadcasting 
companies, period, they actually have put these older games on television, uh, on YouTube for you to watch. They're out there. Okay, all you have to do is watch them. <laughs> Just type it up in 19-whatever uh, championship game for the most part. Most of them are there. I, mean, I don't think they have the 1920 <laughs> championship game when you have uh, the Acker Pros playing. I don't think that exists. I mean, it may exist because NFL Films has a lot of stuff. But I haven't watched enough of the older playoff games, especially the AFC and NFC Championship games. I've been doing a lot of that over the past couple of years again. And the last two shows, of course, I decided to do my favorite AFC and NFC Championship game. Of course, last week was the 81 Championship game against, uh, well, not against, between the San Francisco 49ers and the Dallas Cowboys, the catch, right? So I love that game. That was my favorite NFC title game of all time. And I had to sit back and realize there was a lot of these iconic historical games. And it, you, you'll see highlights of certain plays and things like that, but you didn't really watch the whole game. And so, like, I like John Elway's drive uh, that delivered them into the Super Bowl. And you begin to see him cement his place in the Hall of Fame with that game in the 1986 AFC title game against Cleveland in Cleveland. So that, that is my favorite AFC championship game. If Cleveland fans want to turn this off, I look, I totally understand, but please stay. It's too late now. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm only seeing, uh, like, with that game, I had really only watched either the final drive for Cleveland or just, you know, the final drive, you know, final drive for Cleveland going into the, the end of the game, or you just saw the drive. Just to see that last drive, and you know the touchdown pass at the end that tied the game. So you know, on Saturday I watched, I rewatched, I watched the entire game, just like I did the previous Saturday, just you know brushing up on the '81 AFC, I mean NFC Championship game. Um, <laughs> why is that my favorite one? No shade, Browns fans, but look, I just love watching Jordan's final shot, the shot, right? Get to the point where I stop looking at Jordan, I look at the giant, the Jazz fans. I'm looking at their faces as the ball goes into the net. That's what I'm watching. And that's that that I'm, I'm not saying that I love, but it's just it's really interesting to me. So, you know, it's like they expected it to happen. It's heartbreaking. And it's the same thing with the drive. When that drive is happening, and we'll break it down for you, start looking up there. If you rewatch it, look at the Browns fans. There's some that are still trying to cheer their guys on. Even look at the sidelines. One, one drive I love, and this is an entirely different game. I'm just going to throw this in here. Um, Chris Collinsworth, of course, you know, the famed NBC broadcaster, you know, great color guy. Um, you know, he played receiver for the Cincinnati Bengals for years. Now, he played against San Francisco after that 1981 championship game. You know, they lost to the 49ers in Super Bowl 16, and he you know, it was like, what is in his rookie year, I think, that year. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's seen Joe Montana do stuff over the years as both a player. And then even going to that final drive, if you do not know about Super Bowl 23, you know, that game, it was, what, 92 yards away? And Montana drives them all the way down for the game-winning touchdown, which proved to be the game-winning touchdown. I mean, Cincinnati got the ball back after the kickoff. But on the sideline, there's a discussion. And not only um, is he telling people on the sideline, look, this dude is getting the ball. You know, once this 
drive is about to begin, even though the Bengals have scored a touchdown. You know, they return a kickoff, right, to take the lead. Well, <laughs> Collinsworth is on the sideline saying, look, this dude is about to go on the field, and that's going to be a problem for us. Even the head coach, Sam Weiss, had been on that 49ers staff for some years. He knew what he was dealing with. So you can hear the audio on the sidelines basically telling you uh, and telling them, you know, the other players, this game is not over. So, you know, it, it's the same thing with the Browns fans. You see them on the sideline, the, the players and the coaches on the sideline. They had not yet seen this happen. Now, keep this in mind. The drive, when the Denver Broncos win this game, was actually the 12th comeback that John Elway had performed. First one in the playoffs, though. And he's in Cleveland, and they hadn't played that great. And uh, that last touchdown pass to Mark Jackson to tie the game, that was actually his first touchdown pass of the game. So just to give you a little bit to chew on. So, you know, as we dive into it, so, <clears throat> again, this is my favorite game, and this is, this is why, you know, you see what happened to Cleveland because if you think about Cleveland Cleveland hadn't won a championship since 1964 they hadn't hosted a championship game since 1968 uh, they you know hosted the Baltimore Colts and got thumped 34 to nothing and here they were hosting the AFC championship game and this game they clearly outplayed the Denver Broncos they turned the football over one too many times just like the 49ers did in the 81 NFC championship game San Francisco, in spite of all those turnovers, they won that game. They, they probably could have won it by a much wider margin, but it came down to being a one-point game in the end. Um, but Cleveland themselves, they turned it over three times, even though it felt like more, not to mention all of the penalties that they had. Uh, I think they had nine total in that game. All this kept the different Broncos in the game. And if you don't know how this game turned out, uh, how it pretty much played out, this is my long-form rundown of the 1986 AFC Championship game in Cleveland. So, first off, pregame storylines. You know, you got the, the AFC number one overall seed Cleveland Browns hosting this game. They just went through a couple of overtime games previously, okay, and even beat the week before the New York Jets in overtime which would turn out to be the final score in this game, the same 23-20 to 20 the week before. And again, you got a Browns team that was actually pretty decent. Um, now, since the 1960s, yeah, they were a team that nobody really wanted to fool with to a degree. And they had a little bit of success. They Again, they lost in 68 in the uh, conference championship game. They actually lost a year after that to the, was the Green Bay Packers the year after that. In the 70s, they had a couple playoff runs, but in 1980, the Cardiac Kids, we'll get to them one of these days. You know, that, that was kind of one of those great improbable runs led by head coach Sam Rotigliano and quarterback Brian Sype. They lose to the Raiders. And even going in further in the 80s, they had a couple of runs. And as a matter of fact, I had to look this up just to make sure I had this stuff right. Because uh, I had looked and said, okay, well, yeah, they had some playoff success. What kind of playoff success did they have? Well, they were 11-5 at one point. And then they just kind of fell off the wagon. Even though they had, like I said, they had some playoff years, but with no success. But then you come in in 1986, they have 
a 12-4 record. They're the number one overall seed. Their head coach is Marty Schottenheimer, who had took over, um, what, two years prior. He, well, he's in his second year as the head coach. Uh, special teams coach Bill Coward, he's a future uh, Pittsburgh Steelers coach. Also, executive VP of football operations, Mr. GM himself, Ernie Accorsi. He was in his second year with the Cleveland Browns. Remember, this guy drafted John Elway when he was in Indianapolis. Said, I'm going to pick the best guy on the board, even though Elway and his father said, we don't want to play for you guys. And, of course, you know, the, the Colts, they did it anyway. The rest is history. Um, then you have the young up-and-coming quarterback, you know, Bernie Kosar, 23 years old at the time, in his second year in Cleveland. This guy actually wanted to play for the Cleveland Browns, the Mr. Miami Hurricanes National Championship quarterback. The supplemental draft enabled them to be able to select him, the one guy that really wanted to play in Cleveland. And so he's leading the guys like Ernest Bonner and Kevin Mack, those running backs, Reggie Langhorn, and then rookie Webster Slaughter. And then they had a pro bowler by the name of Cody Reason, um, rising, who was a pretty decent uh, tackle at the time. Then on the defensive side of the ball, which is where their strength really lied, and that was the cornerbacks, Frank Minifield, and the all-pro, first-team all-pro, Hanford Dixon. Then you have Chip Banks, who was a pro bowler, Clayton and Matthews, you know the family, second uh, pro bowl, second-time pro bowl, uh, who was it, Bob Golick? Yeah, big Go Mike Golick's brother. He was a New England Patriots linebacker who ended up being converted to a nose tackle in uh, 1982 by Cleveland. Turned out to be one of the best moves he ever made. And then there's defensive end Carl Harrison, uh, who had played in Super Bowl 15 with the Philadelphia Eagles. He was in his third year with Cleveland, came in with nine sacks. And again, you know, when they had that overtime game with the uh, New York Jets, in which they won, <laughs> they set playoff records. Did uh, Bernard Kosar. 489 yards passing and he threw 64 times he could do it with his arm he could he could and then there's Denver Denver they at least been to a Super Bowl in the past 10 years that was Super Bowl 12 when the former Broncos head coach Red Miller had uh, brought his team in the Orange Crush defense and the um, the Dallas Cowboys you know kind of laid it down in the Superdome so since then the team had been up and then by the what the beginning of the 80s, they had earned the first one well, here with the, one of the first five picks of the NFL draft with a two and seven record after the strike season of 1982. Of course, again, go back to Ernie Accorsi, who drafted John Elway. Um, and Elway was under pressure by this time, by 1986, because he and the Broncos had yet to win anything yet. Well, especially again, him being the first pick, didn't want to play for Baltimore and was kind of brash about doing it. Um, basically said he wasn't going to play and of course he was going to recruit uh, he was going to get some scrutiny for that and some pressure came along with that Denver did get to the playoffs in 1983 and 1984 they missed it in 1985 in spite of an 11-5 record but no playoff wins that was the problem and you had the young guys on the offensive side of the ball Vance Johnson Steve Watson Running back Sammy Winder. You had Keith Bishop, the guard, a pretty good guard, as well as tackle Ken Lanier. And on defense, you had Greg Cragen, Rulon Jones, Carl Mecklenburg, Tom Jackson, who was at that 1968 <laughs> NFL championship game when the Browns lost to the Colts. He, him, his father, his family, they were Cleveland Browns natives fans. 
and he's back in Cleveland to put them uh, out of the playoffs, right? Then, of course, you got Lewis Wright, the corner, and uh, Dennis Smith, who was a pretty good safety up and coming at the time. Then there's the game itself. 56-year-old Cleveland Stadium, 30 degrees at kickoff, 15 to 20 mile per hour winds, eight degree wind chill. They were hosting this championship game again for the first time since 1968. NBC Sports, they're broadcasting it. You got Dick Enberg, who's the lead, Merlin Olsen and Bob Greasy, the two former NFL players. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but that famous shot of Marty Schottenheimer, if you've seen those um, NFL films, <laughs> he's speaking to his team in a huddle pregame of this game when he was talking about, there's a gleam, man. There's a gleam. Go get the gleam. I still don't know exactly what he was talking about, but I think he's talking about the shine off of that Super Bowl trophy. They're going after that trophy. Anyway, you slice it. They're trying to win a championship for the first time in years. So you go to the first quarter and not a whole lot to talk about except, you know, the fact that Cleveland and Denver, they exchanged punts. And Cleveland's second drive uh, was bounced, you know, a little bit with Kevin Mack runs and a key third seven pass to the receiving back, Herman Fontenot. He was pretty, pretty good. You know, he wasn't much of a running back, but he was a guy that caught a lot of passes. Looked at his uh, pro football reference and his stats, and he basically was a receiver, you know, playing running back. That's what he was. But that well, one of those passes gained 24 yards. And that year, he was second on the team for the Browns with 47 catches and 559 yards. All right, pretty good. Third down to two, though, a Lewis Wright holding call spots the ball at the Denver 40 yard line. First and goal. Bernie Kosar, he had backup tight end, Harry Holt, wide open. This dude drops the ball, that gunner. Second and goal, Kevin Mack, he tries to sweep to the left, fumble. Cleveland recovered it. <laughs> two-yard loss. And then third and goal, Kosar finally hits Fontenot on a swing pass. Uh, tackle is missed. Six-yard walk-in touchdown. So Cleveland goes up seven to nothing. Denver, they get the ball, punt. All right, they punt again. Cleveland, a couple plays later, Bertie Kosar, he's picked off by linebacker Ricky Huntley at the 50-yard line. So here's the start of what was really some momentum killing in this game. You have to know that especially if you were at the game or remember watching the game cleveland had the momentum they had <clears throat> the backing of their 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 the, the the crowd and you know you would think okay let's just put some drives together stop fumbling the football um and not turn over the football and maybe we could do something even in the first quarter okay well here's what happened denver takes over into the second quarter they open up fourth down and ten they're going against the wind. Elway does a little quick kick. So Denver, they pick off Cleveland again. They pick Kosar off again. This time, Jim Ryan, linebacker, he gives Denver a first and goal from the Cleveland nine-yard line. Look, again, that, that Cleveland defense was really, really good. Schottenheimer had put together a really good defense. And it wasn't just Hanford Dixon and Frank Minifield. They had some dudes up front that we'll start talking about, you know, to go along with, you know, uh, Bob Golick, Mike Golick's brother, right? So it's to be noted that Bernie Kosar had the lowest interception ratio after 531 pass attempts. He only had been picked off 10 times and thrown the ball 530 times. And he's got picked off twice already in the first half. Again, you got first and goal from the Cleveland nine-yard line, but Cleveland's defense, 
they hold the Broncos to a 19-yard field goal. Okay, 7-3. Cleveland still has it. Cleveland, right, just as Dick Enberg and Merlin Olsen and Bob Grease, they're talking about the fact that Cleveland fumbled the ball twice and threw two interceptions. And they still have a lead. Kevin Mack fumbles on the first carry of the drive. And then Denver recovers another, gets another turnover. Classic. Now, Kevin Mack, he coughs it up just before he got a hold on it good. And he got the handoff and he's like bobbling it before he and looking at the run before he even gets it gets going good. Denver, they got a first and 10 from the Cleveland 37-yard line. John Elway takes off on a scramble all the way to the Cleveland four-yard line. And you have to note that Elway had a bad ankle. He's taped all the way up to his darn calf muscle. And, uh, you know, 33-yard scramble, he didn't look very healthy on that run. He looked like he could have been running a lot faster. But even with that, <laughs> he got it all the way down to the four-yard four line. And it took four downs, but the Broncos, they scored their first touchdown on a Gerald Wilhite one-yard touchdown run. And they think it kind of helps. Cleveland had only 10 defenders on the play. Linebacker Brad Van Pelt, you know, he was a 14-year vet. Turned out he was playing his final game uh, for his third team. He ran off the field in confusion. Browns coach Marty Schottenheimer, he tried calling a timeout. They didn't see him, so no timeout was given. Ironically, Van Pelt had played 11 years for the New York Giants, the team he was drafted by, and was a five-time Pro Bowler as a fellow linebacker with the likes of like Harry Carson and eventually Lawrence Taylor. The Giants ended up, you know, they were playing in the NFC Championship game later that day. They would beat Washington 17 to nothing. Just saying. So Denver's got a 10-7 lead. So they exchange punts again. Rookie receiver Mark Jackson, he drops a potential first down catch before Denver has to punt the ball. He would make up for it, though, much later. All right. Cleveland. Bernie Kosar struggles in the first half, but on this drive, he throws a bomb to Clarence Weathers. He burns safety. Dennis Smith, 42-yard gain down to the Denver 20-yard line. A couple of more completions to Fontenot got Cleveland to first and goal by the two-minute warning. But Denver's defense, which was not too bad themselves, they hold Cleveland to three points. All right, so we got a 10-10 tie by halftime. And who is it that kicks it? MVP kicker, former MVP kicker, Mark Mosley. Why? Because Bernie Kosar was called for intentional grounding. He also thought along with some other Browns players and fans, they would have gotten a rough in the passer penalty. Uh, Simon Fletcher and Ruline Jones are one of the two. He runs kind of off the screen. Fletcher is running after him with his arms extended. I'm guessing he gave him a little bit of a bump at the end that you don't see because the cameras went away. But look. No call. They kicked the field goal. Halftime, 10-10. Third quarter, second half kickoff was kind of a shadow of things to come. Very windy on that day. Again, 15 to 20 mile per hour winds. And the ball acted a little bit funny when it went through the air and especially when it hit the ground. Gene Lang and Ken Bell, they're standing there waiting for the kickoff. And I believe that the wind may have took that one. It was a fumble where, where Bell actually recovered it just before the Browns covers team pounced on him by the way cleveland played some really good special teams that day they really did it wasn't so much in the returns as it was in the coverage but it was good it was good so denver they're starting on their own eight yard line dog pound is behind them now barking dog biscuits being thrown all over the place and there's a sign behind john elway that says elway is dog meat 
You know, it's horns being blown and uh, not just dog biscuits being thrown. Uh, ice is being thrown on the field at the offense, too. So a deep ball is thrown incomplete to Steve Watson, resulting in a pass interference on Frank Minifield. All right. So it was happening downfield. At the same time, this play was really funny. So Cleveland linebacker Clayton Matthews, he's trying to knee Gerald Wilhoy, Wilhite. He's literally trying to knee him like Kung Fu style, knee him. And then he turns and gets into a squabble with Denver's left, uh, left tackle, Dave Studdard. The refs completely missed all of this. I think that it could have been a personal foul on Matthews. Matthews was getting blocked. It's, it's about as clean as it looks. He didn't like it very much that Will Hyde was getting up under his pads and blocking him. And so he goes to knee him. And then when Stubblefield, uh, Studdard is, is Stubblefield, Studdard is, is coming to clean him up. And he's trying to literally kick him. That's crazy. It's all happening on the same play. But the Browns, they end up forcing the Broncos to punt after getting that first sack of the afternoon. Sam Clancy, one of those big defensive linemen that the Browns had, um, who had never even played football at the University of Pittsburgh. He was a basketball player and was the all-time leading rebounder by the time he left the school. Isn't that crazy? Uh, Cleveland, they got the ball. Uh, again, Tom Jackson, he ends this drive after dropping Kevin Mack for a loss, forcing another Cleveland point. Devers turn again. Two Cleveland penalties on their defense. Illegal contact and then encroachment. From the 50-yard line, Elway trying to hit Mark Jackson on a deep out. He gets picked off. It was a really pretty pickoff uh, interception by Mark Harper. Initially, he was called out of bounds. The ref was standing there, like right there, but he didn't see the knees being down inbound. Um, after they reviewed it, not only did Harper have a knee and a foot down, he actually had two knees and two feet down. Call was reversed. Cleveland ball. Cleveland didn't capitalize. Three and out. Denver. Elway's arm in the legs of Sammy Winder and Gerald Wilhite got the Broncos in the field goal range again. Now, this actually helped out a little bit as well. You know, a personal foul, a late hit on defensive tackle Reggie Camp. It's always funny seeing the guys throw their hands up like, what did I do? Camp was going into a third step at Elway well after watching the guy throw the football. Pull up, my guy. That's all he got to do. Just, just stop. You know, you didn't have to hit him. Third down to seven from the nine-yard line. Elway tried Will Height over the middle. He clearly didn't see uh, linebacker Mike Johnson standing in the way. Johnson should have picked Elway off a second time. Should have. Didn't happen. Another rich carless field goal. Broncos lead 13 to 10. The kickoff, Cleveland got hit with another penalty. Herman Fontenot brought Carlos's kick all the way back to the 50-yard line, but there was an illegal block in the back. All right, cost you field position. First to 10 from the 17 instead. Kosar, after completing nine passes to his running backs and only three to his receivers, he hits rookie Webster Slaughter for 20, which ended up being his last catch of the day uh, because the dude, I guess he, 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 yeah, he injured his shoulder. I mean, as cold as it was, this guy was on the sideline getting checked out with no shirt on at all. Yeah, yeah tough. Reggie Langhorn, he gets uh, a 22-yard reception from Kosar, and they're in Broncos territory. Three more big runs from Kevin Mack carried the Browns drive into the fourth quarter. So we're in the fourth quarter now. Interesting graph that popped up in the fourth quarter. The Denver Broncos did not lose a single game, which they led for three quarters. They were 10 
and oh cleveland six straight kevin mack runs produced a third and three from the broncos seven yard line another kosar incompletion literally had to throw it away actually mosley kicks another field goal we're tied up at 13 now now 38 year old kicker's try was good 12 minutes and 38 seconds left in the game because it's still early in the fourth quarter so denver another three and out they'll win the broncos uh, at this point, Denver was actually 1-for-11 on third downs. You see how bad the Broncos were playing? Does anybody else see this? You're you, you, you getting an understanding now. A lot of three and outs and then some you know, costly interception, and they're not exactly converting these um, red zone situations into seven. You're getting three, all right? So the Browns took over with 10.45 left to go. First down at Denver's. Uh, you know, for Denver's, well, Denver's Rulon Jones, he got the Broncos' first sack of the afternoon. Fourth down and one, the all the All Pro, the Pro Bowl tackle, Cody Re uh, Reason, he's called for a false start. The Brown, Browns end up having to punt, and they pick that first down up. We don't know what we're talking about at this point, but still, still we're midway through the fourth quarter. We're getting there now. Denver, third down and nine, after a great. Frank Miller, you know, excuse me, Frank Millerfield pass breakup on Steve Watts. Great ball skills with this guy. Elway runs a design quarterback draw, picks up first down and some more. Now, as he's running, you can see a flag thrown for holding, and it was on the uh, the Broncos center, Billy Bryant. But after Elway slides, he's clearly hit by Lewis Wright well after the play. And some fans would argue, as would I, you know, there should have been some offsetting penalties there and replay that down. But instead, half the distance to the goal line is third and 15. Screen pass to Steve Sewell comes up two yards shy. Broncos punt again. So Cleveland special teams coach Bill Cowher, he's going berserk on the sideline. Gerald Wilhite, uh, uh, not Gerald Wilhite, it was actually Gerald McNeil, Ice Cube. That was there at the Broncos, not the Broncos, the Browns punt return. Wore number 89. He played for the. If you play Tecmo Bowl, he's on Tecmo Bowl as well, Tecmo Super Bowl. And uh, he's playing for the Houston Oilers by then. So I, I even had his uh, football cards, I think, from the Oilers and the Browns. Anyway, talk about this game makes me want to go play Tecmo Bowl. I probably will after I get finished with this. But um, Bill Cowher, he's going berserk on the sideline. He's thinking that McNeil, he, and he did, McNeil had his face mask grabbed right there close to the Browns sideline. There was no call on Rick Dennison. He used the special teamer that had a handful, no flag. Okay, so Cleveland, they begin on their own 48-yard line. You got an incompletion to Kevin Mack. Uh, this guy drops the football just like he did with the fumble, trying to run before he gets the ball in his hands good. No security. Second down, they throw to Fontenot. He gets the ball up to the 48-yard line of Denver. Then the magic happens on third down and six. Brian Brennan, he's the slot receiver who led the Browns in receptions in spite not starting a single game. He was covered in the slot by Dennis Smith, the safety. Still can't believe how this guy caught the ball. Just beautiful. And truth be told, I have to give credit to Smith because he turned and found the football too on this play but couldn't make a play on it. Brennan on, on a go route, he's running close, close to the side, close to the sidelines and Kosar actually throws the football towards the inside. Brennan does a pirouette, spots the football, as does Smith. He catches the football at the 17-yard line, just eight inches 
from Dennis Smith's hands. And Smith, he goes into the ground face first. <laughs> Brennan takes it the rest of the way in. 48-yard touchdown. Wow, the dog pound is going berserk. Everybody's eating dog biscuits. And papers is thrown everywhere. They're going crazy. Art Modell, he's in his box, shaking hands with his khaki-colored trench coat on. And Brennan is out of breath on the sideline after spiking the ball and celebrating with his teammates. Mosley, he kicks what ended up being his final extra point of his career. He retired after this. Cleveland has the 20-13 lead with five minutes and 43 seconds remaining in the game. Remember that second half opening kickoff? It happened again. This time, both Lang and Bell let the football bounce from about, you know, the, the what, the 15-yard the line? Bell had to scramble to recover the ball again at the two-yard line. Now, I both read and heard it from the mouth of Merlin Olsen during this broadcast of the game. He said that Gene Lang panicked. I don't think so. But if the wind has been blowing the football all over the place, a majority of you know the kickoffs and everything, I mean, you let the ball the ball goes past you instead of allowing it to just bounce into the end zone. I understand what they're saying, and it's going to be a touchback. But with the ball being unpredictable, I don't know. Just jump on it. That's what I'm thinking. About a second and a half after Bell recovers the football, there's Brown special teamers again all over him. To Merlin Olsen's credit, like I said, I understand this point. The ball did have some momentum to go and roll into the end zone, but I just don't know. I, I just didn't trust it. Now, this is the reason why they call it the drive. I believe at this time, Broncos owner, Pat Bowling, he's on the sideline in that big old mink coat and those football receiver gloves. <laughs> All right, and here's how it went down. First and 10 from the Bronco two-yard line. Now, as they're going into the huddle, basically, there's that iconic moment where Elway, who's smiling, going into the huddle. Remember, he's got the dog pound in his back. He's probably getting pelted in the back of his head with dog biscuits and ice. And uh, you do see it hitting the ground, by the way. Um, but, uh, you know, he basically calms everybody down. He's like, we got them right where we want them. And everybody kind of relaxes and they, they laugh about it. And then the drive begins. First and 10, Elway to Sammy Winder. Five yards, second and five. Sammy Winder, toss sweep, three-yard gain. Third and two, Winder goes up to the middle, up to the middle, two yards, and the official had to measure for a Broncos first down. Then you got a first and 10, Bronco 12-yard line. Winder goes for three, second and seven, play action. Elway scrambles for 11 yards and another first down. There's three minutes and eight seconds left on the clock. It continues to run, okay? First to 10, another Elway play action. This time, he goes deep over the middle to halfback Steve Sewell for 22 yards and a Bronco first down at the 48-yard line. Bronco 48-yard line. 218. The clock is still tick, 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 tick. First and 10, Elway drops, throws right to Steve Sewell to the 40-yard line. Another Broncos first down. A minute and 59 left. Two-minute warning. All right. We're in business. But here's where disaster almost hits this series of plays right here. First and 10 from the Cleveland 40. Elway dances out of trouble, throws deep right end zone, and he's trying to go to Vance Johnson incomplete. Throws pretty much almost a throwaway. Second and 10, 152 left. Here's a problem. Elway drops back again. This time, he gets sacked by Dave Puzzuli. Puzzuli 
Drops him all the way back at the Cleveland 49-yard line. Timeout Denver. They only have one timeout left. It is third down and 18, an eight-yard loss. So Bronco coach Dan Reeves had told Elway during the timeout, look, just try to get half of it. I mean, that's what fans were saying. That's what coaches and players were saying. Just try to get half of it. And we'll go for the rest on fourth down, which that's exactly what they were going to do. Well, minute and 47 seconds left to go. Elway now in the shotgun. He drops all the way back to the Denver 40-yard line, not before the 40-yard line, steps up and throws an absolute dart to Mark Jackson inside the 30-yard line for a Denver first down. Mark Jackson's 20-yard catch, that's his first one, his first catch of the day. So that's great. He dropped that other one that was feeling bad on the sideline. He dropped a big third down earlier in the game, right? But the second one he would catch, yeah, it would make some history. According to NFL Films, top 10 playoff finishes of all time, our NFL writer Pete uh, Prisco, he said that the Browns, he said third and 18 was the biggest play of the game. And it really was. It, it really was. Um, he said the Browns were known for playing man coverage. And of course, you got these great cornerbacks. Again, we talked about them. Frank Minifield and Hanford Dixon. I mean, why wouldn't you play man coverage? You got two guys in after this season, for multiple seasons going forward, these guys will be pro bowlers. These two shut down corners, okay? Well, <laughs> for some other reason, on that particular play, third and 18, they went to a zone defense. Now, I get it. Keep everybody in front of you, make the tackle, and force them to punt. You know, that was probably the thinking, but instead it's first down to 10, Denver. Denver snaps the ball with a minute and 24 left. Is Elway, he goes deep again, throwing the football away. Uh, he was covered by Frank Minifield uh, with Steve Watson. A replay of the previous play, though, is what shocked me. Had no idea, never saw this before. On that third and 18 play, the shotgun snap, you had Steve Watson that motioned across uh, Elway from left to right. And as he's going by, the ball is snapped and it actually hits Watson in the butt. <laughs> but Elway caught the ball with his left hand. Like it wasn't nothing, dropped back, and he made the play of the game. Wow. All right, so second down to 10, Cleveland 28-yard line. Elway again, shotgun, throws a screen to Steve Sewell. He gets 15 yards all the way down to the Cleveland 14-yard line, down the left sideline with a convoy in front of him. Now it's first down to 10 again. Elway, shotgun. He goes deep right end zone. Steve Watson actually goes up, snatches the ball out of the air. He's 6'4 now. He's 6'4". He, he catches the football, but he was out of bounds. All right, well, can't do anything about that. Second down to 10. 49 seconds left. Elway has five wide this time in the shotgun. He scrambles to his right, and he gets out of bounds at the five-yard line with 42 seconds to go. He slides out of bounds. Mud all over that one side of him. He wipes his hands off, gets ready for the next play, which is third and one. Just shy of the first down. 42 seconds again. Elway lines up in the shotgun. Will Height is lined up next to Elway on the left. He's got three receivers to the right, a single to the left. Mark Jackson goes in motion, right to left. Jackson starts from the outside with his route, works his way on a slant back across the middle, in the middle of the end zone. So Vance Johnson, who was in that slot on the left, he's running a clear out towards the middle of the field. Will Height comes out of the backfield to the left, taking his man, Clay Matthews, away from the, pretty much splitting the defense. As Jackson runs this land over the middle, there's a wide open lane. 
Elway throws another dart over the middle. Jackson held on to that one too. Five yards, touchdown. Cleveland is beyond nervous. They are silent. Crickets, crickets, unless you're a Broncos fan. Carlos, now he's got the extra point to tie the game. And he had only missed one extra point the entire 86 season. He was 44-45. He nails it. The game is tied at 20. Elway completed six of nine passes for 78 yards. Scrambled twice for 20 more. 15 plays, 98 yards. 5.06. That's how long it took to get that game tying touchdown. Browns fans are a trip. So the stories are true. That again, Bronco players were told to keep their helmets on throughout the game because all the biscuit throwing. Um, they were throwing not just biscuits. Again, I said ice. Well, how about batteries and fruit? One of their linemen uh, took his helmet off. I forget the name of the guy. Took his helmet off to get a drink of water and somebody pelted him in the face with an apple. <laughs> he just kind of like, good shot. Puts his helmet back on. Well, Mark Jackson, his touchdown catch looks like someone threw some kind of ball as he's spiking the ball at the end of the game. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the play, that's pretty good. So, 37 seconds left. You know, Costa only needs a field goal. And Rich Carlos, yeah, he, after trying it twice, he kicks it out of bounds the first time. They eventually settle for going for just two knees and going into overtime with 31 seconds left. In overtime, Cleveland won the toss took the football after a short kickoff. Kosar in the offense, they took the field, right? So Denver had yet to play an overtime game during the season. Cleveland was 3-0 in their overtime games, including the playoffs. So with Cleveland, the story would have been great. Miami Hurricanes National Championship quarterback from Youngstown, Ohio, wanted to play for the Browns when nobody else did. He has Cleveland on the cusp of the Super Bowl appearance. All this buildup, three and out. All of that three and out and the, the the i think the energy was gone after that game was tied because they were going nuts when breenan was out of breath on the sideline after catching that touchdown pass you know biscuits and batteries and everything going everywhere and, you know it, it was gone apparently it was gone and then they go three and out then you know that they're nervous okay third down kevin mack he wasn't even on in the game he rushed for 94 yards to that point hmm if you watch that game, they need if they didn't throw those short passes, they were the running game was working. It was working. But, you know, okay. Kevin Mack wasn't in the game. Denver, after a 41-yard punt, Denver takes over at their own 25-yard line. After a first down run by Sammy Winder, John Elway goes deep to Orson Mosley, 22-yard gain, all the way back to the Cleveland 48-yard line again. And by the way, if you ever seen that backup tight end, Orson Mobley, that dude looked like a right tackle with a tight end number. That, that's how huge that guy was. Anyway, you had a two-yard loss by Winder, an incompletion by Elway, third down and 12. The Browns needed one more play out of their defense. They thought they had it. Elway scrambles up out of trouble again to his left. This time, he nails the, Bron the Browns' coffin close with another dart. This time, it went to Steve Watson. He ran a route. He stopped along the sideline. He, he gains what, all the way down uh, to the 22-yard line of the Browns, 28 yards on the play. And at this point, Cleveland, again, they're silent. Three running plays by Sammy Weiner. Put the ball in the middle for Rich Carlos's potential 32-yard game-winning field goal attempt. And Carlos, who had made eight straight attempts 
this one made no difference to him. The barefooted guy nails a 32-yard. They win the game. The Broncos are on the way to the Rose Bowl in Pasadena to play Super Bowl 21. And the the Giants and the and the Washington game is already underway. By the way, it started at like 4 or 4.30 or something like that. And we're in overtime. So the Broncos, they're in. Again, this was Elway's 12th come-from-behind victory in his career. He had 47 for his career. Pretty good. Uh, first playoff comeback victory. Sports Illustrated's Rick Tellinger. He has said of the Cleveland Browns and the dog pound, and, I'm, and I quote, let's clarify this metaphor. Elway didn't just pull victory from the Browns' mouth. He ripped the thing from halfway down their throat. Keep this in mind. The Browns players, the coaches, staff, the fans, they thought this game was in the bag. The explosive celebration in the stands after Brennan's touchdown, there was no doubt in their minds that they were going to the Super Bowl. No doubt at all. On top of all that, you had the Broncos, they had to drive 98 yards for just to tie the game. And that all changed when they converted that third and 18. Of course, the aftermath, the Broncos actually played the Browns three out of, you know, out of four years, including the 86 season in the AFC title game. They won every last one of them. And each loss by the Browns was not easy. Uh, it, it didn't get any easy. Well, neither did it for the Broncos. The Broncos, they get to the Super Bowl all those three years, and they're blown out each time. Every time it was worse and worse. The Giants got them in, in Super Bowl 21. They beat them by 19. Uh, Washington football team beat them 42 to 10. That's 22. I mean, excuse me, 32 points. And then still a record 45-point loss to the San Francisco 49ers, who were the defending champs. 55 to 10 in New Orleans in Super Bowl 24. It just wasn't great. Now, of course, Elway and the Broncos, they finally broke through in the 90s, winning back-to-back -back titles. We'll talk about those 90s teams just like we, you know, we said we're going to pick this up. We left off from last year. We'll talk about that. But meanwhile, back in Cleveland, those AFC championship losses mounted. You lose to the same team three out of four years on the cusp of reaching the Super Bowl. It hurts. The 87 championship game, AFC championship game, was no better. If you ever heard of the fumble, I mean, we'll tell you about it eventually, but uh, they, they could have won that game. Um, the 89 AFC championship, yeah. not much of a contest. The Browns owner, Art Modell, he was pictured there with his, hand, his head in his hands. And by 95, he decided to move the team to Baltimore. Ouch. This year's Super Bowl, by the way, for the first time in NFL history, features not only two of the league's best quarterbacks but they're both african-americans for the first time ever two black quarterbacks in honor of black history month by the way we're going to talk about a couple of those quarterbacks that actually in the history of the league both of them from grambling uh they actually put the black quarterback on the map all right that's it references thanks to espn.com ProFootballReference.com and also NFL Films and NBC Sports, their coverage of the 1986 AFC title game. Also, a couple of books, The Sporting News Complete Super Bowl Book, the 1993 edition, you've heard this before. Editors Tom Dinert, Joe Hopple, and Dave Sloan, and also very good book, Elway, A Relentless Life. This one written by Jason Cole. This has been the Behind the Mic Podcast, presented by Belly Up Sports, Belly Up Sports Media. Bill Up Sports Podcast Network, BillyUpSports.com. Go to it, click on it. Remember, we are now on Megaphone, right? That's, that's our new home base. 
Also, you can catch this show, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, YouTube, and more. Hey, tell all your friends and your family about this show. I'll find your house. Enjoy the Super Bowl this weekend. I'm out. I'm out.